Hello, Sotans. Welcome to SOTA. We're happy to have you here. My name, as you probably know, is Jason McKenzie. And my name, as you also probably know, is Sarah Kensler. And if you didn't know before, welcome to this here podcast. We're so excited that you are listening, definitely because you received pressure from your more artistically inclined friends. Indeed. And if you're here for any other reason, we welcome you just as much. So I am going to lead us through a conversation of uh, something that I was really excited to talk about because it is very fraught and controversial. Um, dramatic. I, dramatic, but I also think it's very topical and timely. And I know that by the time this comes out, this will like kind of be old news, but I just kind of want to use this instance as an example more to talk about um, just kind of the art world itself. And especially, you know, in this time that Sarah and I are making a goal to educate ourselves and, you know, share it on this podcast and learn from you all, Sotans. Um, I think it, you know, reflects this mission and, you know, it's a question that's, that's not going to go away. So um, what I would like to address is that the Philip Gustin retrospective that was supposed to tour um, in 2021 has now been postponed until 2024. Um, and it was supposed to go to four museums in the U.S. and the U.K. Um, and this includes the National Gallery of Art in D.C., the Museum of Fine Arts Boston, the Museum of Fine Arts Houston, and then finally the Tate Modern in London. And it's a survey of Philip Gustin. Um, and if you don't know who he is, actually, a little anecdote is that when I worked at Mia, they did this fun little program where they asked front of the house staff to pick like a favorite artwork and, and write a little paragraph as to why. And what I picked is was Augustine uh, that was in like the north end of the modern and contemporary galleries on the third floor. And it's an abstract piece. And I just really always liked it. Even before I worked at the museum, when I was visiting there, like during, uh, during art school, and it was just, you know, it was a painting from maybe the seventies or so or sixties, but it still looked wet and it was just very textural and you could just look like you could, sink your hand into it and he's really uh well known for these using a lot of red and white and like kind of using this underpainting and he was uh more of he was an abstract painter um who you know went on to, like from like fully abstract to just kind of um a little bit more i don't know like figurative, figural figurative abstraction. oh yeah figurative. yeah mm -hmm. um so he's that's that's a little background on him. Definitely, definitely worth looking up if you don't know his work. Um, and this retrospective is a posthumous retrospective. Um, he passed away in 1980. Just to let you know, he has not been around for a while. So this retrospective, um, you know, he's he's a very popular artist. This is going to be, you know, probably one of those, quote, blockbuster exhibitions, which honestly, Sarah, we should talk about 
the what the blockbuster exhibition is and the history of it and why it matters mm-hmm. and why it doesn't that would be a good one completely agree but i think that the fact that they uh were assuming that this would be a blockbuster may may have had something to do with what happened next and why it's not being shown right now absolutely so just you know blockbuster just to you know let you know that it just means that it would be very popular um you know it would be kind of a a major draw for people to come in and see this show um, it's a retrospective, so it's spanning all of his career. Um, so this is just kind of would be a, a rare chance to be able to, you know, get to see all this work in one place. So mm-hmm. the main reason why it is being postponed until 2024 is that it is to include the artist's famous or infamous paintings and drawings that feature hooded figures of Ku Klux Klan members. So obviously very divisive. So all of the museum directors got together and were in conversation about this retrospective. So it was all four of them, these, you know, the, you know, kind of highest representatives of the museum. um, And they decided to postpone in order, in order to reformulate the show. So it better reflects the quote urgencies of the moment. However, that did prompt a lot of pushback, and there were a lot of artists and curators, critics, et cetera, um, who thinks that postponing these works actually is not a good idea. Um, A past curator, Michael Alping, who made Augustine retrospective 20 years ago at a different museum, um, said that the postponement shows a larger difficulty on the part of museums um, in how they respond to criticisms. And he says, quote, I'm sensing uncertainty and paralysis in a lot of cultural institutions, given all the changes that are happening. They don't know where to go. They're afraid to make commitment and they're afraid to be called out on something. (laughs) So did you get the sense when you were doing your research that the, the pieces that showed images of Ku Klux Klan members, that they the museums were worried that they would be interpreted as glorifying the KKK? Um, or was it just that, uh, or, or rather, or was it that they thought that perhaps the images of KKK members would inspire um, emotions that perhaps um, would distract from the rest of the show? Because the, the entire retrospective is not all about his works. That no, there, I think there would just be a few. Yeah. But I would say that they're probably, they would probably be worried about both simultaneously because both would be likely to happen. Mm-hmm. So Mark Godfrey is one of the senior curators in the International Art Department at Tate Modern. And he was one of the curators who worked on the Gustin show. And told, and this, a lot of my uh, <laughs> source is coming from hyperallergic, surprise, surprise. So he was talking with hyperallergic and said that the museum actually didn't include him in discussions about the postponement. And he said, quote, the decision was not with the curators, which someone, uh, a, a Tate spokesperson denies. Um, but the the four directors of these museums said that they wanted to bring in additional perspective and augment the presentation. Um, but Godfrey, the curator, said that he had already 
said that he had already actively tried to bring in more voices of those outside the Tate and says that I had been working extremely closely with the chair of BME Network, which refers to BAME is Black, Asian, and Minority Ethnic Diversity Staff Group. We collaborated extremely well to talk about Gustin and his, as an anti-racist ally. So Gustin himself um, is, was a white man, um, but he was an avowed leftist, mainly during the post-war era, so after World War II, and considered the series of these KKK drawings to be about the pervasiveness of evil and white supremacy. And he even went so far as to label them as, as self-portraits. So even kind of looking at himself as, you know, a perpetrator of, of whiteness and white, you know, white supremacy and, and things like that, um, you know, as a privileged white male in American society. Darren Walker is a trustee at the National Gallery and said it would have appeared tone deaf to host the exhibition right now. Notable artist Trenton Doyle Hancock, who's familiar with Gustin's work, said that Gustin is Jewish and Jewish people were historically targeted by the Klan as well. Um, and this drove the artist's response as an activist through the gesture of painting the Klan's image. Uh, another uh, critic, Aruna D'Souza, who has written um, extensively on protests at museums led by Black activists, said that while she liked Gustin's work, other exhibitions may be better fit for the moment than a Gustin one organized by four white curators. That's a fair point. Pretty, pretty fair. Mm -hmm. um, and she says, I don't know how Black audiences will react to Gustin's painting. I suspect since there's no unified or univocal Black voice, there will be many different reactions. But the idea is that this work, but the idea that this is work that's important to see now and all museums have to do is educate audiences about why looking at KKK figures is good for them is terribly paternalistic and condescending. At this point, more than ever, it's important not to tell Black audiences what they should be looking at, but asking them what they want to see. Great. I think that's... No? You don't think so? I I'm wondering if she's touching on something that I don't think we've spoken about specifically, but perhaps we should in the future, that there's maybe an assumption by museum administrations that their audience is largely white. Oh, yeah, I think absolutely. And we have talked about this in past episodes about how a lot of communities, you know, that a lot of BIPOC communities are intimidated by the museum because museums were so historically white, you know, especially just think of Jim Crow era, you know, they were segregated they or just didn't allow people of color at all. Um, you know, they were built in this very imposing way and they've had, you know, outreach pro problems since the beginning. So, right. I think, you know, mainly because the outreach has been seen as um, just a gesture and not a, a true um, dedication to diversity within the museum in all of its forms including um, collecting like a lot of people yes. don't see themselves reflected in the collection and the exhibition so certainly you know why would they want to go somewhere that doesn't reflect their experience 
I'm just wondering, and I, I wish that Aruna D'Souza, I wish that Aruna had said, had taken their point a bit further Mm -hmm. because they do say it's quote is important not to tell black audiences what they should be looking at but asking them what they want to see which i agree with yeah but i wonder if then you could use that line of thinking to make the case that the not only does the museum think that it's the majority of the audience that visits is white but also that they did not step back and think about how different minority groups like Jewish folks or like black folks might interpret these works differently or more emotionally than white folks who have never had to deal with oppression and racism. Um, I think it's, again, I I kind of wish that D'Souza had um, taken it a little bit further. I mean, do you think that that is a, an assumption that could be made in, in that line of thinking that because, you know, black audiences, um, will have a range of reaction to the KKK because there's such a history of violence associated between those two groups, um, that then it's also might be important to point out that the museum didn't consider their black audience in the first place. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So mm-hmm. I I got some information from a resource that combines two of my favorite things, one of which is podcasts, and the other is hyperallergic. Yes, the hyperallergic <laughs> podcast. And they addressed why this was getting postponed and had a conversation with one of the museum directors. That museum director is the director of the National Gallery in D.C. And who is the director of the National Gallery in D.C.? Wait a minute. Wait a minute. I know the answer to this question. Yes, is it, you do. Is it, is it Kaywin Feldman? It is Kaywin Feldman. The so, former director of the Minneapolis Institute of Arts? Precisely. Oh, my goodness. Who, by the way, did a great job. I really recommend people listening to that podcast episode. Um, about her uh, explaining with one of the founders of Hyperallergic, you know, the the circumstances um, of this show and its postponement. And there's a few mm-hmm. things that she pointed out that helped me understand the situation more. One is that we should all remember that these huge museum shows are worked on for years. And that's also why it's it's not being postponed until, you know, like if it was supposed to open in the spring, it's opening in the fall or, you know, that's why it's not postponed till 2022. That's why it's postponed till 2024, because these things take so long to build. So Kaywin has only been at the museum for a year and a half now. And so this retrospective was being uh, conceptualized before her coming onto the team. That doesn't, you know, necessarily excuse anything, but that just helps inform, you know, the rest of the interview. And she's also saying that, yes, it is true that these are four white curators who are working on this show. And so she agrees that they are going to try 
to bring in some, you know, black curatorship and black voices to this. Um, and like one of the curators who was from the Tate said, you know, he was arguing that the curators had this in mind and they were working with uh, people in their own communities and in their own institutions to, you know, kind of make the interpretation and and make the, you know, community education programs that would benefit this, this, or, or that would complement this exhibition and, you know, mediate these conversations of the KKK imagery. But and that's amazing. I, I do, you know, at first when I read that, you know, kind of me having a curatorial, I don't know, s s empathy or something was kind of like, yeah, like, don't under underestimate your curators, let them have it. But uh, like, I was changed after listening to to Kaywin in this interview, just thinking it further, is that um, the the museum itself and and, you know, kind of taking this and redoing it. And it's not just okay, this, we're plastering this show up, and then we're going to have some additional things, education, like, around the side that's going to talk about, you know, and mediate, like, conversations of racism. No, it's being changed, like, in the core of the exhibition itself. You're bringing on BIPOC lenses into the core of the exhibition itself, and then that's going to radiate outward, and that's going to help all of that mediation, interpretation, and education from there and the the host of the podcast did point out that well don't you think it's a problem that there were no black curators in the first place and that you know all these head curators that were working on this show were all white and you know of course she agrees and that goes uh, we've talked about this on our podcast a lot about how the hierarchy in museums and you know hiring practices really need to change so that was also addressed as well yeah i am just wondering if we should take a moment to before i ask my question um to kind of describe philip guston's visual style because um when we say abstract, it does kind of pull one away from imagining that it's a you know a direct photocopy of of life in painting. So, so these are not identifiable figures who were actually within the KKK organization. Mm -hmm. These are images of essentially white hoods with black eye holes they're a little cartoonish you know they they yeah. kind of read a little like like early mickey mouse kind of like just mm -hmm. abstract like a little childish maybe you know it's the, the not very detailed images um they're pretty kind of close up and and like basic like everything like they're riding in a car and one smoking a cigar mm -hmm. and it's yeah a little a little animated like with Gustin's work there's a lot of um you can see the brush strokes and you can see the size of the brush mm -hmm. and um there's this one piece that's held by the Brooklyn Museum called City Limits from 1969 and I think they're they're in there's three uh Klansmen in a car shape um and 
the only colors used in this piece are red, black, and white. Mm -hmm. Um, and so it is, yes. Um, and, and even though this color scheme is, is, uh, is familiar for Gustin's works, regardless of subject matter, the fact that the color red is being used in different strengths surrounding an image of three figures in these white hoods, um, I think kind of lends itself stronger to the idea that these white curators should really have considered what they were putting in front of people. I think it's also important to say too, that this show is not about the KKK. It's about all of the works of Gustin. Yeah, um, I think the works that, that will feature the KKK, I think that there would be maybe a few, like I would expect, you know, just a very small portion of this probably huge exhibition would be about this. I but, agree. You know, if we, if we think about like the Danish Schutz uh, situation with the 2017 Whitney Biennial um, and her painting Open Casket, which featured kind of an, an abstracted uh, painting of Emmett Till's open casket and Dana Schutz is a white painter. Um, the controversy and protests that surrounded that really took up a lot of the conversation regarding the, regarding the biennial and other artists were not as talked about or looked at, you know, kind of the exhibition as a whole became a you know like a, a the focal point of this a, whole a Dana Dana Schutzbishen Dana Schutzbishen yes Dana Schutzbishen mm-hmm. well actually I'm wondering you as the curator in in this little soda group Jason so let's say that you're presented with this this show um, and you are one of the museums that will be receiving this exhibition. Um, Why would you choose to postpone the entire show rather than just taking out the pieces that will be controversial? Well, that would be censorship. And I do think that the, the audience does deserve to see if you're doing a retrospective, they're, they're, they deserve to see Gustin's work as a whole. And if this was a period or a, you know, subject that he was grappling with, I feel, you know, if the artist was alive and you'd probably be working with his estate and thus his family members and such, you know, they would probably be encouraging this and saying, well, this is something that he was grappling with. You know, this, if you don't include this, this probably wouldn't be reflective of his, you know, career as an artist. Also, you don't want to, I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to, I don't know, like dumb down or like make, make the art easier for my audience or just try to make it look like I'm saving my museum's butt by, you know, not doing this. And if we don't talk about these things, just like with with anything controversial in history, if we don't talk about it, then it might get forgotten about. 
I, I think that there are a few different ways of looking at this. One is that people are saying, okay, well, we are in a very charged moment. We don't know what 2024 will be like. I kind of think that unfortunately, this won't be moot. This won't be something that's- No, certainly not. We're not going to be over racism by 2024. I mean, I wish wholeheartedly, but so- you know, and I, and and some people, um, some critics of this postponement are saying, you know, the public deserves to see this. We deserve to see it now when it was supposed to happen. And you know, um, if you're if you postpone it, then one, you're just kind of the museum's scared of taking on criticism, um, and you're depriving the audience of being able to look at this work in this current context that it was originally slated to be in. Um, however, there's another way to look at it. Um, and one is that, and I'm a little bit more prone to this, is that we have been calling for museums to change for a long time and have recognized this as a problem. and. Yes, I do agree that it is, you know, a bit unfortunate that, you know, we have to wait to see this retrospective, that, um, you know, that we, I think it would be interesting to see these works in our current moment right now, but these are four huge influential museums in the United States and the UK. And with with four white curators and, I don't know, at least one white director, because we know Kaywin Feldman's right, white, I, I, mm-hmm. I would say there's, there is a high likely chance that the rest are white as well. But that they are, they are stopping, they are considering more perspectives than just the artist who is a white male. And they're considering the moment, they're considering their audience, and they're also considering the, you know, the conception of the work itself. You know, since this work, you know, was, they probably started working on this show in 2016, 2017. And although it is a bit late, they're now going to, you know, kind of they're now going to bring in BIPOC perspectives into this into this exhibition and which I think is especially important because the artist is a white male that we don't just have more white males curating a white male show from a white male perspective you know and what have you so I think I think it shows that and then going forward um any of the shows that are that are in the in the works right now they're they're going to do the same you know any other shows that are really lacking a bipoc you know curatorial or or other interpretive or educational all all of these as, uh, facets they're going to you know reassess and bring those perspectives in and then going forward you know that's going to be a you know made a standard and then that's going to help um, in the advancing of BIPOC people into these positions as well. Um, and then, you know, next time, uh, when the next retrospective comes out, it's not all for white people. 
So I think that this, you know, it's, it's, it's late and it's not quite enough, but I think that this is a good start of museums looking inward and recognizing their, you know, fatal internal whitewashed flaw. And I think this sets a good example. Not that this is a cure-all, but I think that it is a positive change. I agree. Perhaps a sign of things to come. Hopefully a sign of things to come. Yeah, hopefully this is just the tip of the iceberg. And from here, it just gets more radically inclusive and, you know, just thought changes. And, you know, that's that's what we want to see. So, um, Mm -hmm. and then, of course, when the exhibition comes out, it will... It will also be setting a precedent for other museums as well as to how to, you know, recurate and, you know, redo education and programming for, uh, you know, this kind of imagery. Agreed. So I hope they do a good job. We'll find out. The world is watching. (laughs) And so is Soda. So is Soda. If you have thoughts about this episode, about Philip Gustin, about really anything that we discussed today, we would really love to hear your thoughts. You can reach out and tell us all of those thoughts. We are on the Instagram at State of the Arts Pod. We are also on Gmail. It is stateoftheartspod at gmail.com. And don't forget that our music is provided by the wonderful The Von Tramp. And another artist um, who's familiar with Gustin's work pointed out that he was Jewish and Jewish people are also have been historically targulated. Targulated? What? Targulated. Targulated. Oh my God. Hashtag targulated 2020. (laughs) I love it. I love it so much. Come from. Targeted (laughs) and (laughs) celebrate? No. No. Coagulated? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I don't know, man. I don't know.